This week's podcast brought to you by Punctuation Terrorism. We have a very special Ball and Chain episode this week, our first ever phone interview with my friend, now Rebecca's friend, and soon to be your friend, Sam Farmer of the Los Angeles Times. Uh, He's a writer, he's a raconteur, he's an all-around hilarious guy, and he's he's with us today, fresh from the Masters. And he's pretty darn funny. After you listen to his interview, you're going to want to follow him on Twitter, at LA Times Farmer. You can follow him on Instagram at at Sam underscore Farmer underscore NFL. It's a lot of underscores. And I would underscore that point with uh, the fact that he hosts a podcast of his own called Your Artificial Friends. Saying says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. I gotta tell you, my mom was so excited when she heard I was coming on your podcast because my mom gets some like, do you, do you release yours Tuesday night? Yeah. See, I always thought Wednesday morning because I listened to it Wednesday morning, or and my mom like gets some hot, like piping hot Tuesday night and listens to it. Well, t- Tuesday at midnight, but uh, we will make sure we get your mom some slag mm. as as she <laughs> so requested. Kind of, yeah, slag, slag. It's yeah, awesome. I don't have any slag. I didn't want to make her feel jealous and let her know that I've got two, two coasters. We should at least introduce Sam formally. He's uh, he's a, a friend first. He's a great writer for the Los Angeles Times. He's fresh from the Masters. I mean, really fresh. Just back, what, last night, Sam? Yes, I got back last night. Uh, it's, it's a two-hour drive uh, from uh, Augusta, or two to three-hour drive to Atlanta. And I was just hoping that I could win the media lottery. That's the big thing at the Masters. If you if you like to golf, they pick 28 riders, and uh, that those riders get to play the course the next day. So I had to build in for the fact that I might win it. This is my first Masters, but I didn't. I didn't win that. So so I was gonna. So I was. That's why I was gonna come home in the evening. Uh, but it was tremendous. I mean, what an incredible experience. Uh, such a fun event and. And just how they treat the media. I mean, the the media center is like a Four Seasons. It, it is unbelievable. They put it up in a year there, and it's got this beautiful restaurant. It's so nice, in fact, that a lot of the Green Jackets, the members of, of Augusta, come up to the media center to eat, and and they've got also this grab and go. Which Steve, I'm sure you've co- you've covered it. I, I covered um, it when the media center was not the new media center. Okay. And and everybody in the media who doesn't get into the golf lottery on Monday thinks that it's fixed. Oh, absolutely! I said this thing's rigged. I didn't. I didn't win it. <laughs> so <laughs> does that mean? Had I won. Right. Do all the media uh, members bring their clubs just in ca- just in case they win the lottery? They do. Um, it's funny. They, they do bring their clubs, but people don't generally talk about it, and they'll make an announcement in the media center if you want to put. If you want to play on Monday, put your name in, and it's you watch. You look uh, you look around the room, and you can kind of see the thought bubbles pop up. But people don't want to get up, 
And it reminds me of a game of spoons. Have you ever played spoons? Yes. Where you one person grabs a spoon and then everybody grabs one. And so <laughs> that's sort of how it was. Whoever was the first, we all had our hands like at the ready, ready to draw pistols. So whoever was ready to run up there. So, But it's also sort of like bringing your speech to the Oscars. You know, a lot of people don't want to jinx that by preparing exactly. something. So by, uh, but if yeah. you're selected, then but you I have to have clubs. Terribly. I, I mean, I've, I've been playing terribly. I, I only play, play um, intermittently. And I thought, you know what? I play terribly. I don't deserve it. It's the first Masters I've ever covered. Uh, and this gives me incentive to come back and as if I needed it. Uh, but I did think about our, our colleague, Sean Powell, a sports writer, who played Media Day. His first round he ever played was U.S. Open Media Day at Pebble Beach. <laughs> and the next round he played was at the Masters. So he played Pebble. His first two golf courses were Pebble Beach and Augusta National. Our, and our... he basically needed to play Pine Valley and then just hang it up. Are women allowed to enter the lottery? Female sports writers are oh, they allowed absolutely. to? So do do they ever get randomly chosen to participate? I, I would imagine never. <laughs> women certainly, and and you know, masters obviously that was a long time uh, all male thing, but now they've got some sort of high profile. You know, they're all high profile profile members. I caught Elisa Rice though as a member and. Uh, Heidi Uberoth and, and others, but still it's mostly a, you know, a old white males Disneyland. <laughs> <laughs> we, we don't want to get too substantive here on, on Ball and Chain, but um, Sam has a, a pretty deep golf pedigree that he's not mentioning. His, his uh, aforementioned mom once was the uh, golf cart escort, was she not, for Glenn Fry in a celebrity tournament? Oh, yes. A very uh, memorable experience for Glenn Fry. <laughs> My mom is from from Newcastle, Pennsylvania, so she's very talkative. She's uh, very gregarious, and they live in San Diego. and And there was a pro am at their golf club, and my mom, as uh, a volunteer in in this tournament, was assigned to gl- drive Glenn Fry around. Well, my mom. Wants to know everything about everybody when she meets him. But she's Glenn Fry was not of her generation. So she didn't know, know who he was. And so they were driving. She said, now, what do you do? And he, he kind of was a little annoyed. And he said, you ever heard of the Eagles? My mom said, the Philadelphia Eagles? I'm from Newcastle. <laughs> and she said, he didn't say another word to her the rest of the round. Your, your, your mom, who I love, also had a, a, a brush with greatness with uh, Brett Favre. Sam covers the NFL as his main gig at the LA yeah. Times. He's the national football writer for the Los Angeles Times. Uh, moonlightings of sorts at, at the Masters. But um, what was your mom's encounter with Brett Favre again? I, I forget. Well, it was right after Brett Favre had this. His his father died, I believe, on a Saturday, and then he had this incredible Monday night game at Oakland, uh, where he, I believe, threw six touchdown passes. It was very stirring, emotional game. Play, you know, tears in his eyes, and had this tremendous game. Well, at that time, the NFL used to take the sort of person of the week and make them available later in that week to the media. And of course, Brett Favre was the person of the week that week so they put us on a conference call with Brett Favre I happened to be down at my parents house 
and it's a split level house. So, uh, and then there's a den sort of in the middle, in the middle level as you go up the stairs. So I was in the den on this conference call. Well, this wasn't a star one conference call where you ask a que- you press star one to ask a question. It was a free for all. And so you basically had to shout over other reporters. It was very uh, unwieldy. And um, so I was listening to him and somebody somebody asked him about his dad. And it was a very poignant moment. He said, you know, it wasn't just my dad. He was my first coach. He was my best friend. He was my confidant. And then I, at that moment, I hear someone pick up the line in the house. And it's my mom. My blood runs cold. And my mom says, who's speaking? And I, I just want to curl up. And, and he says, it's Brett Favre, man. So this is a silent, I mean, a pin drop moment. My mom says, who's speaking? Now, I can't say anything because I've been around long enough that people will recognize my voice on the call. So I can't say mom. So I run downstairs and I said, mom, please hang up the phone. Please hang up the phone. I'm on a work call. And then I, I skulk back up the stairs and just in time to hear my mom, and God bless her, I hear my mom do the phantom hang up, which is just bouncing on the. <laughs> I knew. So that was a that was, that was a great moment, but uh, but that was uh, pretty. You know, it, it, it was a scary scary time for me that people were going to find that out. Well, Sam and I, we've talked, our our fathers are the same age, born in 1934. Sam and I are the same age. We have the same cultural references. One of the things I love about him, he's he's our resident Los Angeles expert on the podcast. And, um, but he's not jaded at all about, about living in Los Angeles. He still loves visiting the Bat Cave from the Batman TV series. Um, He can give you a tour of he can give you a tour of Spielbergia, um, the Steven Spielberg <laughs> suburbs where where ET and and um, you know the Poltergeist houses, the Brady Bunch house is not only physically near but near to his heart as it is to mine, and um, the, all these places. So uh, uh, the next time we're in Los Angeles, um, whether you like it or not, we're going on a tour of all these places. I would love that. Can we go on a bike tour for the ET portion of it? Well, Sam does a lot of hiking. I don't know what he can see from his hiking trail, but uh... very nice. Yes, I uh, I won't be able to fool you because typically I'll take people to the Brady Bunch house and I'll say I I just need to run in and pick up something, (laughs) and then I I let them sit there in the car for a second, and then it slowly comes to they sort of realize what they're looking at. But now, if you follow the Brady Bunch. house drama where Lance Bass had uh, bid for the house and I think he bid maybe two and a half million dollars for this very average sort of smallish house and um, and then HGTV it's not him. terribly attractive it's not like there's a lot of it, it's hard up backed hard against this uh, the LA River which is this basically just a concrete tube and then I think another network Maybe bought it for $3 million. Yeah, HGTV. Yeah. And so it'll look like the Brady Bunch house that, that you remember. So 
and uh, because there had been certain changes to it. Another iconic Los Angeles landmark is the Cinerama Dome. And uh, wasn't that the site of one of your great high school exploits? Didn't you see, uh, I forget, what was the movie you saw there? And, and how did you, uh, how did... Well, how did, it was E.T. Yeah, my mom, it's, you know, I wasn't really, I was a pretty uh, good kid. And, and so a big adventure for me. My mom got us, got us matinee, got my friend John and me tickets to the matinee premiere of E.T. And uh, it was playing at the Cinerama Dome on Sunset Boulevard, this big GDC dome. And we didn't really know that much about E.T. except we had seen the commercials, which were pretty cryptic. And that it was Steven Spielberg and that it was going to be the blockbuster of the summer. So so we went to this uh, to this premiere and it was amazing. And, and uh, we come out and it's still kind of light. It's dusk as we come out of the theater and we were, we were mischievous. I will say I was driving my mom's 200 SX and it had a moonroof. So instead of a sunroof that you roll up, you you take the moonroof off and you put it in the trunk. And so my friend John said, take the moonroof off. And there were 500 people wrapped around the block on sunset Boulevard waiting to see T knowing as little as we knew about it when we were going to see it. So he said, go by the line real slow. So he stood out of the car and yelled, I saw the movie. He said, don't worry, E.T. gets home safe at the end. And yells the ending of the movie. Well, now I'm 16 years old, so it's 1982. I began to wet myself. I'm laughing so hard. And people are just apoplectic. Like, these kids just yelled the ending in this movie. I'm laughing so hard, not paying attention to what I'm doing. I slam into the car in front of me. Oh, no. And the whole line just breaks out in an uproarious applause. (laughs) (laughs) It was the most humiliating moment in my life. Now, I hit this car... And it's like a clown car, the number of people who are getting out of this car, all of them holding the back of their neck like they've got whiplash. So, you know, I, mean, I didn't hit it. Have our whole family put on assigned risk by the insurance company, but it was. So they they just, uh, <laughs> excuse me, I don't know if we, we got it under the cl- out of out from under the cloud of that with the insurance company for years and years, so... They got the last laugh, but I'll never forget that. And you, uh, you, you talk about being a mischievous teenager. You are then became a, a parent yourself and have uh, a couple of teenagers, right? Your son is in college and your daughter is in high school. Is that right? Yes, yeah. that's right. I know you yeah. tweeted or posted on Facebook or something recently. Your, your daughter irretrievably lost something, a, a hairband or something the other day. And it reminded me so much of our own kids you asked where it was and it had fallen someplace where nobody could ever recover it what, what was that it was tweezers it was tweezers uh, i had asked where the tweezers were and she said uh oh they they're gone they fell behind the hamper <laughs> so we have to go to the tweezers store now you can't pull the wicker hamper <laughs> Camper away from the wall. They're gone. Over and pick up the tweezers. We got to get a new set of tweezers because they now touch the floor. Yeah, my daughter too. 
now that my son is in college, she is constantly ping-ponging back between from one room to the next. It's just like for sport now, she moves her entire room to the other room. And we don't have a big house, but uh, so now she has... But I realize that she's done that enough now that she's left remnants in both rooms and she's in fact created a suite. So she has a two-room suite and my wife and I have the other room. But anyway, I was moving moving some of her stuff uh, and I noticed there was a backpack and it was just stuffed to the gills. I said, Claire, what is that? And she said, well, it's in case there's an earthquake, you know, the big, big earthquake or a big emergency... It's a survival pack. And there were three rolls of toilet paper in there. And I said, well, what's the toilet paper? She said, well, in case of that, you know, earthquake, she said, I, I was thinking I'd sell it by the square. <laughs> <laughs> what a big heart. You know? <laughs> yeah. And that's your retirement, your retirement plan. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, she's she's always, she's always on it, always looking to make a buck. And and you grew up in a family much like I did with with older brothers, uh, not always the most uh, not always the most uh, looking out for your best interest or the best interest of anybody else. And one of those brothers, if I remember correctly, not a roll of toilet paper, but a roll of what black electrical tape liked to affix uh, ironic quotation marks to public signs, oh. storefronts, and and street signs and things. Is is this correct? Oh yes, it was uh, punctuation terrorism. We would go around and uh, punctuate, put quotation marks around things. So he had a house in a place called. Chautauqua, New York, which is Chautauqua is this little place and it can be kind of stuffy and my brother is sort of counterculture and so he decided to start putting quotes around and he doesn't like when things are sort of mispunctuated so he put quotes around and the, you know what the, the seminal moment was was at the Chautauqua bookstore they didn't have books, they just had t-shirts and posters and stuff so he got some green electrical tape and he put quotes around bookstores. It's a Chautauqua bookstore. And then he wasn't satisfied with that, so he had to go to the Christian science reading room and put quotes around science. And Or if he saw something that was like fresh baked bread at the, at the, at the bakery, he put it around fresh. Or the, the one that was really brought down the house with the Chautauqua gym which it had weights pool and then in parent and then in quotation marks massage it punctuation terrorists and that is a uh, that's a great yeah. concept and and um a great brought to you by one of these podcasts for sure. Uh, I, I hate to treat Sam has a podcast of his own, by the way, with his buddies in LA called Your Artificial Friends, which you should check out. It's fantastic. And I'm treating Sam now like a like a pull string toy or a jukebox, asking him for his his <laughs> no, greatest hits. It. These aren't even uh, these aren't even his greatest hits. He has a million of these stories, and and I've always told him I want to read his memoir of growing up because uh, it's it's full of stories like this. One of those stories is Sam grew up attending, I, not necessarily paying his way in, but attending Laker games at, at the Forum. You would, you would 
take one. I was a huge late, yeah. Huge Laker fan. I mean, lived and died by the Lakers. And just like you lived and died by the Celtics, and certainly Rebecca, that, that you know, I love you guys. You're, it's my favorite podcast to listen to and everything, but that's the one part I tend to fast forward through whenever you mention the Celtics. <laughs> Actually, I... We can talk about the current Celtics and Lakers if you want. <laughs> I think this is probably the right time to let everybody know that until last week, we thought your book, well, Knights in White Castle, was coming out on May 30th because... No, until last week, uh, Amazon said it was coming out on May 30th, but it's actually coming out on August 20th, and it occurs to me that I haven't corrected... Uh, it's been corrected on Amazon, but it hasn't been... I haven't personally told people that it's out August 20th, so I want to let them know it's out August 20th. If you, if you pre-ordered, you will still get it on August 20th. But you won't get it on May 30th. Back Apparently it was Friday. always supposed to be out in August. But Apparently. We, but it, it said, yeah. when we when we read on Amazon that it was going to be out in May, we just assumed that was accurate. And what, what indeed do I it know? was not. They, they, don't, they don't tell me anything. But the book is uh, the book is out August 20th. And uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to clear the air of that back. We're talking about the Lakers and Celtics. And I, I'll, I will tell you, but remind me to tell you, and Stevie, I know you've done your research, um, Remind me to tell you about being a busboy. Oh, yes, absolutely. Because cause there is a Lakers tie in there. So I was a, a huge Laker fan, and I would go to the games when I could. And the way that I would do it is I'd, I'd wait until the middle of the first quarter, and I would buy a ticket in the parking lot. And, well, there were a number of ways of getting in to the Fabulous Forum, but one way was to wait until the middle of the first quarter, buy a ticket in the parking lot, then go in, and it was invariably a nosebleed seat, but I knew this woman named Charzine who worked in the lower section, and I'd give her what I thought was a it was an incredibly generous $5 tip to tell me what the open seats were in the lower section, and then I'd go down and, and sit in them. I mean, I took dates this way. It was like a whole thing. Well, I, decided, I promised my dad we're going to go to a game. But I wanted to take care, cover my bases, so I actually purchased tickets beforehand. Well, I got the worst seats in the house. Literally, the the top row of the forum uh, were the seats, but of course I wasn't going to use them. I was going to take my dad down to the Nicholson seats. And so I'd sit in the Jack Nicholson seats, and so of course I saw Charzine, I did the whole procedure, I said, I've got my dad with me. My dad comes. Pretty conservative guy. He's wearing uh, a madras, like a plaid, nice sports coat. My dad wore a sports coat or wears a sports coat everywhere. And I, I don't think I've ever seen my dad with a T-shirt with a logo on it He's he or uh, anything printed on it. He wears a coat and tie and everything, but he he had this uh, madras jacket on. So Charzine shows me seats, and I take my dad down, and I'm like the – the mayor of LA, I come and sit him down in these seats and, and within five minutes, somebody comes and says, these are our seats. And so it's awkward. We get up awkward for my dad, a little embarrassing, certainly embarrassing for me. I go back to Charzine. I said, Charzine, they, those seats were taken. She said, Oh, 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 go to those seats. And she showed me nearby seats. She said, sorry about that. We sat in those seats and by, those people were gone for like 30 seconds. They were back 30 seconds later. So 
we bounced back up. Now it's obvious to everybody in that section that we're just seat surfing. <laughs> and so my dad is kind of embarrassed. He said, why don't we go to our actual seats? And so I said, defeated. I said, okay, let's go. So we start trudging up to the top, 17,505 at the forum. We go, and, and my dad's pretty tall, so as you get closer and closer to the roof, you actually have to duck down. Uh, it's it's that high up. And it's sort of bluer, bluer and bluer color as we're going up. We get up to the top, and some guy, and this was just the, the, the cherry on the top of the shame Sunday. Some guy says, hey, Al Bundy, nice jacket. <laughs> My dad, we got we watched the game and just sort of stewed in that for the rest of the game. When we got back in the car. My dad takes off his jacket and sort of neatly lays it in the back of the car and says, "He said, you know, I loved that jacket." He said, "Too bad I'm going to have to burn it." <laughs> My dad's so funny. Anyway, so oh, so fast forward two decades. And I'm covering Wimbledon. And um, boy, I, I've gotten my, my, brought my dad and my brother, Tom. My brother, Tom's a huge tennis fan. I mean, he knows, not only does he know all the ATP pros uh, just as a fan, but he knows all the up and coming players, everything. I don't know that much about tennis, but I enjoy covering Wimbledon, which I still do. And so Tom has a thousand tennis friends and he wants to get them all gifts. Well, you can only buy so many hats. These are expensive, 30 pounds or something. So he starts looking around the town of Wimbledon for gifts to buy. He finds these, and I'll send you a picture of it. He finds a paper Andy Murray mask. Okay. And it's just a, it's an actual picture of Andy Murray with the eyes cut out. And um, so he puts this thing on and he looks like Andy Murray. He's six, four, he puts that mask on and he looks like Andy Murray having made all the wrong decisions. <laughs> <laughs> so he is walking around. I'm on the second, I have this apartment in Wimbledon. It's on the second floor. Tom is walking around in only his boxer shorts, scratching his belly with the Andy Murray mask on, and double-decker buses will come by, and the people on the top will do a triple take, like, Andy Murray? <laughs> What's Andy Murray doing naked in that apartment? <laughs> well, I, I just have to send you the video. You can put it on. Um, I, I have not shown it to the world but basically, my brother and my dad are on in the men's final. BBC cuts to my brother wearing the Andrew Murray mask <laughs> and doing a dance in the stands in center court. And it is so classic. And then I had to disavow my brother and because I had gotten my tickets. <laughs> but it's it does I can't do it justice how hilarious it is to see my brother in that Andy Murray mask. I just have to send you the video. So I'm going to do that. I guess, I suppose you can post it, but that's, but I, I did mention the, 
if I, can I can I continue? Yeah, here? Of course, please. I, I did mention the tie-in to the Lakers and my job in the restaurant business. So before I was a sports writer, uh, I was a waiter. <laughs> excuse me, a waiter. And before that, I was a I was a um, busboy, and I happened to be maybe the worst busboy in the state of California, but I was definitely the worst waiter in the world. And I was at, I worked at hamburger Hamlet in Pasadena and I had done all this training to learn the exact specifics of the menu. So I could tell you what a number 19 burger was and that it was sliced onions and not minced onions because those came on the 17. So that, that is, was the degree to which I had to study this stuff. So finally I, I'm no longer an apprentice. I, it's my first night on the job. And I, it happened to be the night that the Lakers and Celtics were playing in the finals. And if you remember the junior skyhook, Magic hit the junior skyhook to win it. And that game, which the Lakers ultimately won that series, that game, if you recall, the Lakers were behind in the first half quite a bit. So I was already very resentful that I had to work, even though I had no seniority at all. But I had they had invested three weeks of training in me. And I was totally in the weeds as a waiter. I was totally slammed because I had one table. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was the wait station was in between the bar where there was a TV and I had the table. Uh, so behind me, I've got the table. And of course, I'm facing the TV and watching the TV the whole time. Well, the woman at the table asked for water. I said, I will get around to it. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on here a second. The Lakers are behind. And uh, she asked for water again. And I said, I will get to it in a second. <laughs> she asked a third time, and I said, listen, I can't do this job. <laughs> I took off my apron, and I thought, I'm just going to quit because this game is going on. This job is not so important to me that I should miss this epic moment in Lakers history. And I went and sat in the bar area and watched the end of the game <laughs> As other waiters and waitresses paraded through the bar area to check out the new guy who just quit. <laughs> and then they, because they had invested so much in, in me, they rehired me afterward after a stern talking to. But it was really a bad decision on their part. But, <laughs> excuse me, I'll take you back a little bit. And this is the summer between my sophomore and junior year and i was living at my parents house i went to occidental college in la but during the summers i'd go down to their house in del mar and <clears throat> i got a job as a busboy at the old town mexican cafe in encinitas and i was a terrible busboy and i used to oh i told you this story this has been on i told you this story. this is the greatest story you have to tell me again rebecca has it okay i would just I'd go around and they had a hand padded tortillas and I'd stuff them in my uh, apron and eat them while I was working. I was, I was, I would wait around, you know, people would ask for water and I'd bring them water and then I'd say, I'd wait till there was a, because in our house, 
you always said thank you, please and thank you. So I would wait, kind of linger around the t- table until there was an appropriate lull in the conversation, and I'd say, there's the water you asked for. I pretty much, I mean, it's no big deal. I pretty much had to drop, drop what I was doing to get it for you. But I, And they'd say, oh, thank you. And I'd say, oh, no, 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 don't, don't, no need to thank me. <laughs> <laughs> so I was terrible. Oh, but I was friendly with everybody, and I liked all the – and so there's a new guy. So admittedly, okay, one time they said, Sam, can you come up and work? And I said, uh, no, I had something else to do. I can't. They said, well, it's the Del Mar Fair, which is a huge thing. And they said, uh, um, we only have one busboy for the entire restaurant. And I said, oh, that's tough. You're making a – you make a compelling case, but I'm still going to say no. <laughs> so I can I come in, I knowing that I'm sort of persona non grata. Now I only had the job for a month, but you know I was, you know I was got along, <laughs> got along with everybody. There's a guy, there's a there's a new guy, Mark, there, and I'm putting the chips in the baskets, and I introduce myself. I'm Sam. He said I'm Mark. I said, well, Mark, I. I you have any questions, don't hesitate to ask. I, I've been here a month, so I pretty much know the rope. And uh, he said, uh, I said, how'd you get the job? He said, they just fired some guy named Stan. Well, I said, I, I've been here a month. I haven't even met him. And like on cue, my manager comes out. His name was Charlie Brown. Comes out. He says, hey, Stan, can I talk to you for a second? <laughs> So, he didn't even know my name. So I was fired by my successor. But a great apprenticeship to become a sports writer. Um, Gary Van Sickle, golf writer at, at Sports Illustrated when I was there, had worked many years to become uh, the golf writer at Sports Illustrated. And, and he awaited the arrival six weeks after his arrival of his Sports Illustrated business cards with the raised logo and the and his name and, and title and, and phone number. And when he got them, he opened up a box of 1,000 cards identifying him as Gary Van Sickle, senior waiter. And so, <laughs> so just, just that one letter, and, it's, it's, and we really do, he kept them, and we really do do a lot of, as Sam can attest, waiting around uh, for people we to do. talk to you. It's, it's, uh, it's a job, and like Rebecca, now you spend a lot of your time on airplanes, in hotels, um, you get to see the, the, the creme de la creme of, of air travelers in the seat mm-hmm. next to you. And uh, I know how much you love that. And you're fresh off a plane, uh, fresh in quotation marks, uh, like uh, terrorism, punctuation terrorism. Um, <laughs> do you have any, uh, any favorite experiences from your, uh, from your years of, of frequent flying? You oh, know, boy. I've had, there I've, are... I've had the, you know, the guy clipping toenails next to me, sending oh, the moon cuticles yeah. of flying. Rebecca has <laughs> had a lot of winners just, just in, in recent days. And, um, and it's like the poker table. If you look around, and you don't see somebody like that. It means it means it's you. Uh, yes, exactly. I'm trying to think. I I, I always like to ask um, if I if I sit next to say a, a a flight attendant who's deadheading back somewhere. I always ask what what are your craziest stories? What are the what are the things that you've seen? And and uh, <clears throat> I remember one told me. She said that. Uh, 
she walked to the back of the plane and a woman was uh, breastfeeding her cat. <laughs> that was one. I don't have breasts, but I think that would be painful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we have had uh, some... Funny experiences on planes. I'm trying to think of a. Well, I, I don't, I'm not sure that that that, that can be topped. Honestly, you know, <laughs> right. we uh, we uh, we will have a viewer mail of a lady complaining that the person in the uh, middle seat next to her wouldn't move over to the empty window seat, and uh, that's annoying. But it's nothing like. No, it was even better. Oh. It was somebody who there was supposed to be an empty middle seat. The All person right. was supposed to sit in the window and right. said chose to sit right next yes. to. Her in the middle seat. That's or bad, him but, in the but, seat. but that that doesn't come within a thousand kilometers of breastfeeding a cat in the next seat. <laughs> oh, another thing. This was another thing. And I had a friend. Her name is Bridget DeLambert. And she was a, a friend of mine in Seattle, and she said that she was with a nervous flyer uh it was a, a sort of across the aisle and clearly a first time flyer guy and he had heard the whole procedure and uh about about uh, water landing emergencies etc in california you tend to fly out over the water and then make a swooping turn to head east and uh, she said that the guy had, now he hadn't deployed it but she looked over as they were going over water, and he had the yellow life preserver already, already around the neck because ready to pull the tabs because they, they had circled over the water. So yeah, you, you see the craziest, craziest stuff. And and uh, I've flown with some uh, interesting. Oh, this was so funny, guys. So my brother Tom was uh, was in Manhattan. And Tom is just, and this is the Wimbledon brother, so gregarious and everything, and he's sort of larger than life. And he was with a friend, and they were walking in uh, Manhattan. And uh, Tom sees a guy that he went to high school with or college with a familiar face. He cannot remember the guy's name. But he sees him from a distance, and he clearly knows him. And uh, Tom says, uh, as he walks closer, he realizes Andy, the guy's name's Andy. And Tom yells, Andy. And the guy turns around. Sure enough, he responds to it and kind of looks at Tom, has a bit of a worried look, and then ducks into a car. <laughs> Tom says, Andy, 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 it's Tom. It's Tom, Andy. <laughs> and his fr Tom's friend said, what are you doing? And Tom said, I know that guy. He said, yeah. I know him too. It's Ed Helms. It was Andy from the office. <laughs> it's Tom. It's Tom, Andy. The saddest thing is that has to happen to Ed Helms multiple times a week. He would have asked to. Well, yeah. Sam, we're going to have to, we may have to parcel these stories out uh, over a number of weeks. There's so many, I mean, it's, oh it's the Sam Farmer jukebox. Um, like we well, have when you come out, when you come out, I, 
I do have one, my one brush with celebrity and, and more than a brush, a, a friend of mine who lives in the neighborhood uh, is uh, Philip Baker Hall, who has been in every movie ever made. And I will happily take you over there and he will regale you with Hollywood stories. And he's been in Curb Your Enthusiasm. And if you don't know him, one of the great character actors. Absolutely. And, and just so you Seinfeld. know... You're known in our house as, uh, as, as our 14-year-old said yesterday, oh, he's your friend who's friends with Phil Dunphy from Modern Family. And I <laughs> oh, said, right. yes, he is. Yes, yes. He, uh, uh, Ty Burrell is another, another guy who I've gotten to know a little bit. But, so we've got a long list of things that we need to do when you come out to L.A., and I hope it's soon. Absolutely. Well, this has been a, a, a riot, a pleasure. Can't thank you enough. Uh, we'll do a, a formal outro after we get you off the phone and let you return to your, your pickleball matches. But um, uh, thanks a million, Sam. Really, it's just, this is oh, awesome. You guys are terrific. I, I love it. And, I, you know, if only my mom had some slag. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get your mom all we'll the slag she slag. can handle. So <laughs> thanks a million, Sam. Really appreciate thank it. Thank you. That was Sam Farmer, our, our friend, now your friend, and uh, you know can't thank him enough. Again, his podcast is Your Artificial Friends, and uh, he does it with a bunch of L.A. radio guys. He's got like Rick Springfield and his various uh, Hollywood uh, uh, buddies on that, and um, his work is in the L.A. Times. He's fantastic. I could listen to Sam all day. He has a million of those stories. I, I, I fear that I'm playing him like a jukebox and asking him for these stories, but these aren't even his all of his best stories. The guy has a million more of these and we're so grateful to have had him on and uh, I hope you enjoyed our talk with Sam. It's time for me to go nurse a cat. <laughs> Saying says no pain, no gain and we found that to be fat. The road might twist and turn a bit but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Six of us and the family pet live in the cuckoo nest. Daily grind puts sanity to a daily test. Androgynous and ambiguous While we give for a little rest Stay by day just to keep it sane Who's the ball and who's the chain It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane